Hi, I'm Tom Field, Senior Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm having a coronavirus update discussion here. My pleasure to be speaking again with Regina Phelps, the founder of Emergency Management and Safety Solutions. Regina, thanks so much for speaking to me again on such short notice. Tom, it's such a pleasure to talk to you anytime. Regina, it's been, I think, two weeks since the last time we spoke. And since then, my understanding is coronavirus infections have jumped to over 75,000. Now we've had over 2,000 deaths attributed to it. What do the numbers say to you? You know, that is such a great question, and it sounds so simple, and yet it's so complicated. And let me explain. So the case fatality rate still remains low. So if you do the traditional math, which is you take the deaths and you divide it by the number of known cases, it's around 2.3%. And so you would look at it and say, well, gosh, you know, the case fatality rate is certainly much higher than influenza, but much lower than SARS, which was 8 to 10%, and certainly much lower than MERS, which is about 35%. But yet there's a lot that's unknown. And so if you look in the scientific literature right now and you look at medical researchers, there's a lot of angst, and primarily because we really don't know, first of all, if the case count is accurate. We don't really know if the death count is actually accurate. And so if you were to ask a scientific researcher who is an epidemiologist, they would throw up their hands saying it's way too early to tell. And I guess the the short answer of that, Tom, is that we won't really know until maybe weeks or another month or so has gone by and we can really begin to see significant trending. The big issue I would say is that we will know if we really have a problem if we start seeing sustained human-to-human transmission in areas other than China. So we're seeing that in Singapore right now. Uh, We've seen it in Thailand, uh, but not so far in other countries. If you start seeing sustained human-to-human transmission in other locations around the world, then that will be the big indicator that we have a big problem. Regina, again, since we spoke last, Apple has come out as the most public example of an enterprise that is impacted via its supply chain. What other signs do you see economically of impact from coronavirus? Oh, there's actually quite a few. And if you peel it back, there's probably four areas that you can look at. First of all is purchasing in general. The Chinese, for the most part, have stopped buying things. And the thing about them stopping buying things is in particular, luxury goods are being hit really hard. And you're already seeing Louis Vuitton, Blueberry, and other big high-end vendors saying, you know, we're going to probably end up re-forecasting our numbers for the quarter because they're seeing a dramatic drop in purchasing. The second is in banking in China. So there's already been one bank that has actually defaulted. That's the first bank in China in over 20 years, and this is reported in Bloomberg. There are many other banks uh, in this article that talked about the fact that there could be more defaults. And that would be a weakening of the Chinese economic system in general. The third thing is really in supply chain disruptions. And so there's lots of issues in many markets. So clients of ours that are in many, many, many different retail, uh, retail in particular, that are very concerned about their ability to receive product from China. Uh, Anything from retail and hardware to things such as retail and clothing. And then lastly is that retailers are already right now today working on Christmas. 
I know it's hard for us to believe because it's February and Christmas seems a long way off, but they're already doing all of their designing. They're already trying to find out who's going to be the vendors that are going to be making these products. Well, many of those vendors are still closed or just barely opening, and they're still really uh, operating at a very low capacity. So what's going to happen to retailers uh, all over the world that buy from China for the holiday season, which right now is what they're going to be doing? Regina, already globally, we've seen the Mobile World Congress cancel for this year. We've seen minor attrition from the upcoming RSA conference, and there have been other events that have postponed or canceled. Do you believe that event organizers are overreacting to what they're seeing? I think it's really hard to say, and let me explain what I'm, I'm really getting at. First of all, of course, we're not seeing any human-to-human transmission in the United States. So we, I just had our case count, by the way, in the United States increased to 20 nine today, and that's primarily because of the people from the cruise ships that have actually moved back home. But the thing is that if you're going to RSA or you're going to any other conference that has a large international component to it, then you'd have to say to yourself, okay, great, I'm going to this conference. I'm going to be surrounded by people. I have no idea where they've been or where they came from and who they sat next to on a plane. And so that's the first thing that people might really pause a little bit about. If there's a large number of international attendees, then an employer might say, okay, great. How many people do I have in my information security group, for example, at RSA? Uh, And when they come back, should they just come right back to work? Should we maybe stay home for a few days to see how they're feeling? And so in a small organization that possibly has a small number of individuals who uh, are in their information security group, the question the company might say is, is it worth the risk, even though the risk could be really small, for us to send folks off to a conference. And I guess the best example I would give you is this. There was the British guy who actually started his travels. He went to Singapore to a conference. That conference was attended by about 100 people. One of them happened to be from Hunan, China. He left left that conference, and as you might know as the story goes, he went to the French Alps. He stayed in a chalet with nine other people. He infected all of them in that location. He then, and that one of several of those people dispersed to other countries where they ended up infecting other people, such as Germany and Spain. Then he went back home to the UK. He wasn't feeling very well, but before he went to the doctor, he stopped by a pub, had a few beers, and infected several people in the pub before he actually went to have his test done, and then he was ter- determined to be coronavirus positive. He actually uh, was probably what we would call a super spreader, right? He was able to infect a large number of people just by being in contact with him. So he went to one conference with 100 people. And so you'd have to say to yourself, if I'm weighing the risk, is it worth going to a conference? And I don't know if they're overreacting or not, but I think that's a real personal decision that every company would need to make and any person attending any conference with a large international component to it. Well, and that's exactly, you've just described RSA conference. We'll have 40-something thousand (laughs) people there from around the world. So relevant to attendees of the event, what questions Mm -hmm. do they need to be asking this week before they travel? So first of all, I think they need to be, first of all, thinking about, you know, what kind of events am I going to go to? What kind of proximity am I going to be to people? I've been to RSA. You know, there's tons of people there. You're in close proximity. So the question is, just think about your strategy when you go. So let's say you're going to get in the plane, you're going to go, great, I've been flying around a lot since the uh, uh, coronavirus kicked off. How can you be smart on a plane? So let's just talk first of all about the airport for a moment. These are based on some recent studies that were just released. 
Uh, and if you're a germaphobe, your ship might be plug your ears because this is going to make you crazy. So when you go to the airport, actually the most uh, dangerous thing you're going to touch is actually the touch screen of any self-check-in kiosk at an airport. They have a tremendous number uh, of what are called cubic uh, square inch germs uh, on a device. They're about 12 times dirtier than your kitchen sink. The next thing you should be thinking about is that when you get on the plane, what's the next dirty thing you're going to run into? And it actually is the bathroom. And there's a couple things you want to think about when you go to the bathroom. Uh, you want to drink a lot of water on the, on the plane so you're well hydrated. So going to the bathroom is a good thing, but be smart. So, for example, the doorknob that you touch that goes into the bathroom, mm, really germy. The other really germy thing is the flush button in the lavatory. So think about it. You go to the bathroom, you use the bathroom, you push the button. You want to wash your hands really, 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 really well. And then you want to use a new clean towel to open the door to the bathroom and to close the door to the bathroom. And then you want to get rid of that towel immediately. So from that point there, you're actually in better shape. But there's also been studies even about the actual waiting rooms inside airports, that the arms are never cleaned on chairs that you might be sitting in in the terminal. So you want to be thinking about that, as well as even the button that you push to get water out of a fountain. And then lastly, there's the tray table. That also is a pretty germy spot of a plane as well. So while you're on the plane, while you're in the airport, be smart. Wash your hands a lot. Carry hand sanitizer. If you're going to be in a plane, and you are around anybody who's coughing, because, of course, you don't know that in advance. You should be carrying a, probably a one or two surgical masks. If anybody is coughing within two rows of you, there's been several studies that have documented that that is a high likelihood that you could be infected with whatever that person is. Now, it's the flu season, so it probably is the flu, but maybe it's not. So I, I actually put on a mask twice in the last month in an airplane simply, simply because people were coughing and hacking around me. And masks are primarily good for to protect yourself in those kind of situations with close proximity or to put on somebody who's sick so they have a tendency to then decrease the transmission to others. And then lastly, I'd be carrying hand sanitizer in my pocket uh, so I could keep my hands as clean as possible. Regina, I've heard people talk about at events that they're going to refrain from handshaking, for instance. Should we mm -hmm. behave differently mm -hmm. at RSA or any upcoming yeah. event? So, I mean, your hands are like the dirtiest thing in the universe, right? I know we look at our hands and think, wow, they look great. I frankly would be very inclined to say, I'm not going to shake your hand just because of, you know, there's a lot of bugs going around and not make a big deal out of it. I've tried to really not shake anybody's hands, to be honest with you, in the last month. So a couple things, if you're engaged with a conversation with people, it's not saying that you should not be social. You should not be talking to people. I frankly would probably just resist shaking anybody's hand and just say, hey, you know, there's a lot of germs going around. I'm just going to not shake anybody's hand. Flu season's been bad this year. Secondly, I would say is I would carry hand sanitizer in my pocket if I was at RSA. And I would just be, you know, every once in the, every 15 minutes or something, if I'm walking from one booth to the next booth or I'm talking to another person, I just put some on my hands. Every time you walk by a bathroom, stop and go we'll wash your hands. But then the, and the last thing I'd like to share with your guests, which is super important in this area, is stop touching your face, which, by the way, Tom, is really hard. Most people touch their face on an average of 18 to 20 times an hour. And every time you touch your face, you need to think about what's on your hands because those viruses, those germs that are on your hands can easily crawl to a couple of different places, your nose and you breathe it into your lungs to the mucous membranes of your eyes or your mouth. Again, you inhale it or you get it into your eyes, which is again, a great conduit to your blood system. Don't not do things, but I would just ask your 
listeners to be smart. Regina, as we head toward March, what metrics do we need to be watching? I know it's easy to go to CNN or somewhere else and see how many infections today, how many deaths. What are the metrics that really matter? So I, I would say there's a couple things. So, for example, the Holland America ship, the Westerdam, that was just docked in Cambodia, they let everybody off of that ship. They went all over Phnom Penh. They went all over the, the country. There's some, some people still there. There are many people that went home. That was thought to be an okay thing at the time because there was nobody that was known to be infected. But now there's been several passengers that have actually tested positive for the coronavirus. They're asymptomatic. They were on that ship. So you can kind of see, go back to my example of the British guy that infected a bunch of people. The idea is that we could have a situation that starts in Cambodia that could actually skyrocket because those people have gone all over the world. So I would be really interested to watch that. The second place I think we need to be very attentive to is Africa. Africa has a very large population of Chinese that are moving back and forth between mainland China and Africa, primarily because of all the infrastructure projects that China is financing in almost every country in the continent of Africa. So there's a huge migration of Chinese back and forth. And with that could be the disease in some fashion. The downside about that is that for the most part, Africa has a, you know, a, a really limited infrastructure and a very challenged healthcare system. And many individuals have limited access or no access at all to healthcare in Africa. So it's one of the places that the World Bank and uh, folks like the Gates Foundation are scared to death if that takes off there because there could be a large number of deaths and cases simply because the system is not really designed to support it. And then to that final point would be, again, sustained human-to-human transmission in other places other than mainland China. And when we start to see that, things could really kick off. I have seen estimates of, you know, uh, a million people. I've seen estimates of hundreds of millions of people. And again, it depends on which model you're looking at. And I'm not professing one is better than the other. I just think that there's a lot of different variances about how people are looking at this, and we just have to be as smart as possible. So in saying that to your listeners, I would say, first of all, don't panic. Don't stop doing things in your life, but just be smart. If you're going to go to RSA, have a great time. Think about how you can do it in a healthy and uh, a way that will minimize your chance of getting an infection. But frankly, I would say that as you go about your daily life, wherever you live, anywhere in the world. Well said. Regina, as always, I appreciate your time, your insight. I suspect we'll be talking again soon. Thanks a lot, Tom. Great to talk to you as always. We've been talking about the coronavirus. I've been speaking with Regina Phelps, founder of Emergency Management and Safety Solutions. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.